Hey, you guys, it's a live recording of Holy Conversations! Welcome to Hallway Conversations. We're a trio of educators who have plenty of questions about teaching and learning and school culture, and we believe in the value of collaboration and reflection as we seek to keep growing as teachers. So this podcast is our place for thinking out loud together about issues in education and why they might matter to Christian educators. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hallway Conversations. My name is Matt Beamers. I'm Abby DeGroat. And I'm Dave Mulder. Richard Mao has a wonderful book titled The Life of the Mind. It's a short but important book, and I encourage you to read it. Chapter 11 in that book is one I've read many times. It's titled Safe Spaces for Playing Around. In that chapter, Mao says, quote, safe spaces are essential for intellectual explorations. And he shares a vignette of having a hallway conversation with a colleague that often concludes with the colleague stating, well, I have to get back to my office and play around with a few ideas. I think the concept of playing around with a few ideas captures what we're trying to do. Our deep hope is to create safe space for all of us to learn together. And our desire is that you might all be encouraged in your work as you go back to your classroom, your staff room, boardroom, or your hallway, and we hope you play around in the sandbox of ideas. And while teaching and education is a serious business, we try not to take ourselves too seriously. Whether on the podcast or in the hallway, we not only like to poke fun and laugh with each other and at each other, but we also carry each other's burdens and we love each other. And we think this is what part of what it means to live in Christian community. If you're new to Hallway Conversations, the general format is that one of us brings a question and we explore our own thinking. We also appreciate getting questions from you, our listeners and audience. So if you have time in the future, please email us or send us a recording of your question to hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. That's hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. So Dave and Abby, one of the things, so I'm on Twitter, and one of the things that I've noticed, so Twitter can be a bit of a cesspool, you know that. This is true. It <laughs> um, can also take up a lot of your time. But one of the things that I've noticed on Twitter, sort of in my going through it, um, that has been, and I try not to take Twitter too seriously, but one of the things that I have taken um, seriously lately, especially in the last two, three weeks, um, even more than the last two, three months, is a sense of teachers being discouraged, of literally quitting their jobs yeah. and um, leaving, and seeing teachers declare, I did it, I quit, I'm finally out. And just a brrrt, all these comments underneath yeah. that are like, way to go, way to get out. Yeah. And it's like, I'm way happier. And um, and that concerns me on a number of levels as a teacher educator, as someone who loves education, mm -hmm. who puts high value on trying to care for a teaching community. So my question is, in thinking about, so I found myself thinking about my own journey into education. Mm -hmm. And so my question isn't necessarily to address those tweets, but maybe to call ourselves back even to encourage each other. Um, can you share a little bit about what brought you into teaching? Can you share a little bit of like why teaching? And then maybe what kind of, as people are leaving, what keeps you teaching? Mm -hmm. Like, so why teach? And then why keep going? And so, Abby, I'm going to put you on the spot yeah. first. Okay. Well, Can you share is, a bit of your story? This is so interesting because the reason I started teaching is actually in this room of live recording, right? So yeah. I worked for someone back there um, at the swimming pool in Rock Valley, Iowa for yeah. a long time, and I learned to teach by teaching swimming lessons, right? Nice. Alyssa and I were in the training pool at the three-foot of Rock Valley Public Pool, and that's where I got hooked on the idea of you teach them this, and then you teach them this, and then you teach them this, and then they put it all together and they can swim. And it was like this cool, like, oh, I didn't know you could like actually 
teach them to swim in two weeks. It was amazing, right? You get hooked on that feeling of you do all these little things and then they put it all together and it's this moment of like discovery. And so I'd say that's still the thing that that I love, oh, right? Yeah. The thing of, so I'll just relate it to my seniors. Um, just did, I, we spent the whole week, I canceled class, my 12 o'clock class um, this week and I met with every student in groups of five. You guys saw us in the conference yeah, rooms, right. right? So they had to take, we just did a whole module on adolescent development okay. and they had to become an expert in one issue that fact, affects adolescents and then relate it to two domains of development and teach their classmates about it, sure. right? So we had put together all these things. They took all that research and all that learning and they dove deeply into a topic mm -hmm. and then they literally taught their peers um, and the level of engagement and expertise that they showed and the way they reacted to each other and just the professional camaraderie, right? Mm -hmm. That putting it all together yeah. that I saw in each of those presentations, it's the same, it's the same concept, it's the same phenomenon of yeah. putting all those little pieces of learning to swim together and then they swim the across thing. the pool. Yeah, yeah, right? Like it's the same thing, it's the so, magic. How, how about you, Dave? You think about kind of journey into, into yeah. teaching. Can you share a bit about that? So I was bound and determined not to become a teacher. Uh, of course, um, and I started um, as a student here at, as a computer science. Okay, teacher. What what were you bound and determined to become? Uh, anything but a teacher. Okay, all right, no. okay, fair, good, yeah. fair. No, I started as a computer science major, and that's probably not surprising given my love of educational technology today and all that. And I loved taking programming classes. I, I could show you the room where I was first on the World Wide Web. It was just down the hall from where we are right now, right? Like I could, I could show you where it happened. That makes me sound like a geezer, I know, but like I have a clear memory of the first time I was on the World Wide Web. Um, but after that first semester, um, it was it was clear to me that I liked people more than machines, hmm. um, and calculus disagreed with me. And, and I knew I was going to take another five semesters of upper level math and that just wasn't in the cards. So like many people, uh, I, I went to uh, career development and asked questions and took surveys and of course, of course, what am I born to do is become a teacher. And I have teachers in my family, my mom was a teacher, I've got several aunts and uncles who are teachers or administrators, so you kind of, you've seen behind the curtain kind of yeah. what this yeah. work is. And I said, that's not for me. And uh, I was encouraged, just go take introduction to education. I'm like, sure, I'll just go take. And of course, you never look back. And here I am 20 yeah. odd years later. Yeah. Right? And uh, it's just, it's amazing how sometimes that captures your imagination. Yeah. And, and uh, I guess what really is compelling to me is the people in, in education. Uh -huh. I said, I prefer people to machines. That, that is still true. Um, much as I love the technology, I love the, the shiny things, um, I, think, I think that's really what draws me in. And still, the opportunity I have now, working with future teachers or practicing teachers in our master's program, um, the people are the best part of this. And I think that's really the, the hard thing when I hear your story, Matt, about yeah. people who are leaving this profession. Yeah. I've seen that too. Like that, that pains me because it's yeah. like these are stories of people who um, just, for whatever reason, the systems at, at work are making it too difficult for them to yeah. keep doing this. Yeah, no, and I, th I think when I was, yeah, when I read those, all kinds, you know, you think about creation, fall, redemption, restoration, you just think the brokenness, so there, there's something yeah. broken yeah. somewhere along the line that um, when having to choose between making an impact on children's lives or, um, you know, your own self-care and your own well-being, that people right. feel like there's actually, there's only one choice, like I actually don't have a choice, like mm -hmm. I, I need to get out. and. 
And I think that's what greed, like, you know, I, and I don't know the whole story. I'm not going to, but just how did we get here, right? Yeah, and, right. And I think that's what, right. that's what makes me sad. And, and you think about, you know, like I think about, as I was thinking about this question myself, you know, I, yeah. I've shared a bit on the podcast. Like I was not, I would have been the student you were talking about in the staff room to your colleagues. Be like <laughs> that Matt Beamer's kid. And I, I was not a good student. I didn't take it seriously. <laughs> Um, I tried to put, up, put on this uh, veneer of someone who didn't care about school, and I didn't really. Um, you know, I, I had a, a lot of wonderful role models in my life who, um, you know, didn't go to university. And so, yeah, I, part of my story is I, I actually dropped out the first week of my senior year. Like, I was sort of done with it for, for different reasons. But when I was in grade eight, I, you know, you can imagine... Sorry to take you back in a time machine. Kind of this jean jean jacket wearing, old high tops, terrible mullet. Um, just you know, like Did you really I have a mullet. It was terrible. <laughs> it was He's terrible. Canadian. You know, I, I I I no 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 because I care for you, I will not show you a picture of that. Okay. Anyways. 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 So. But anyways, so in grade eight, I really tried to put on that on that um, that mask of not of not caring, and yet I would come home um, at the end of the day, take the bus home, and I'd come home often to an empty house. And my, I'm the youngest of five. My sister, I have a sister who's eight or nine years older than me, who loved reading. She had all these books in her room. And when nobody was home, and I get home from school, I would go down to her bedroom, and I would seriously, I went through the. My love of reading came from reading my sister Margaret's Agatha Christie series. Like it was there, I loved it. And but I would I wouldn't tell I didn't tell my sister that I was book, stole her books. My mom didn't know, but I just loved it. And and so I went into high school kicking and screaming. Great grade eight started grade eight. I was the beginning of high school where I lived, and I had this teacher Jane Jane Whitty. And Jane, if you're listening, God bless you. Honest, she's probably not. But anyway, she was an amazing teacher, and I would be pretty disrespectful in that class. And um, but she would have us do these amazing writing assignments, and I was like, this is amazing, but I can't tell anybody. And I'd hand them in, and then I'd be like, I don't care. This is stupid. And in one of those kind of classic 14-year-old moments, kind of like your kids, your students doing research product on adolescence. Like I was so classic that way. Mm. She literally just kind of grabs me when I was being disrespectful and she loved me and I knew that. She grabbed me and she literally just walks me to the door oh, and yeah. she takes me out in the hallway and she's like, and I still remember her words, Matt Beamers, I'm on to you. I know you love reading. I know you love writing and you better become an English teacher or I'll be so sad and mad at you. And so the question is, why did I become an English teacher? Because Jane Whitty told me to become an English teacher. And that's the, that's the, that's the truth. You know, that, that's one story of many stories in, in my life. And I remember at one point, you know, like I, I showed up at door and I never visited this place. It's the only place I could really get into. God bless door, which is why I will always have a bit of gratitude for this place because they yeah. took a risk. And I remember that they took a risk on Matt. Beamers, they should have said they should have said no, and I end up fall under the mentorship of people like Dave Scalhoff and Jim Scott, and um, they just loved me no no matter what, and that just as I as I grew up, and and so that's kind of what got me into teaching. But but I guess I want to follow up with you guys a bit, like 
you know, like what, you know, good projects and great students are kind of all, you know, we can have to tell stories about what keeps us going. Yeah. But but yeah. the reality is the last, especially 18 months, has been excruciating for many teachers, many teachers yeah. in, in, in this room. Um, you know, it doesn't mean, and they're, they can be good and hard, right? Two things can be true, right? It can be so hard, and yet there's been, I'm, I know there's been a lot of, of goodness through the grace of God in these classes. So, but what about, like, on those days, or like, I can actually think in, you know, in the mid 2000s, we're having a whole year that was actually really hard. Mm -hmm. um, but on the, what, how about for you guys, sort of what sustains you? And like, even for these wonderful educators here who, you know, were counting down the days maybe to try saying just a couple of days of reprieve from the onslaught of teaching. And um, what, is, what does care look like for you? And what keeps you going in the profession um, when so many people are, are opting out? Abby, can I come back to you, sir? What, where is your motivation? Oh, I think I think it comes down to, to faith, right, for me hmm. always, which feels a little cliche, but is very much. I just so for context, I handed in my dissertation last week, <laughs> and I had to write the acknowledgments of it, right? And it's just like, what? How do you even possibly try to sum up so all of that? So much. Um, and the acknowledgments of it. But part of what I wrote in there and is true for me really is, is I feel like this is my work to do, mm. right? Like this is part of my calling. Yeah. It's an it's an outgrowth of the love I have yeah. For, yeah. for for people, for kids, yeah. for, um, and I said too, you know, when I was talking about my kids and that acknowledgement, because um, it took pieces of me away from them. And, but I do hope that it's also a model of of good work, right? And there's such a reason why I care so much about education, right? So the people that get to pour into them, um, I always tell my students when they graduate, and I mean it wholeheartedly, that I feel so good about the teachers that will be in my kids' classrooms. Yeah. And that is, that's part of my goal, whether that's mm -hmm. selfish or not, too, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I just know what a difference their teachers make for them. Um, I know the things they've done. I've had conversations with them. The first time um, I went into a, a student teaching conference actually happened when my oldest um, was a second grader and I had a student who I taught in high school um, who had my daughter and I got to listen to her pray for my kid. Ooh, right? Yeah. Like, so the, thinking about how that all circles around. Mm. Um, and when I think about my own kids, when I think about other people's kids, I think about my nieces and nephews and right. people mm -hmm. I love, right? It's 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 that that keeps me no. doing what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'll piggyback right on that because that's what I was going to say, right? Like the, the depth of what we're doing here, right? training future teachers or, or working with practicing teachers, like that is not lost on me. The privilege that I have to, yeah. to be able to speak into yeah. people's lives as they're discerning their calling, whether they're going to be a teacher, whether they're discerning whether they're going to continue in this, whether they're mm -hmm. discerning a new path for them if they're starting a master's program and they're going to take look for a new job as a result of, of their right. new learning. Um, that's mm. that's not something I take lightly. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of it's, this is holy work in that it sense is. too. Right? It is. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Matt? Yeah, as you were, I was almost getting emotional as you were talking. Abby, I, I was actually thinking about somebody uh, named Brenda Wind. So Brenda, if you're listening, God bless you. Um, we had a daughter who was, I could cry. We had a daughter who was going through, yeah, a hard time. As many, in, you know, she was in grade eight at the time and was um, our daughter's homeroom teacher. So kind of her main teacher at the school she was at. 
And um, Bev and I were, you know, where there was, it was, it was just hard for us. And we're sort of like, man, like this is hard. Like we can't, you can't do this alone. Mm -hmm. And I can remember us at one point sort of, yeah, talking, talking to Brenda about it and just basically saying to her, like, can you, can you help us? Can you speak truth into our daughter's, into our daughter's life? And, uh, I remember her saying, like, hey, like, Matt and Bev, like, I got, like, I got this. I got this. Yeah. And, and I guess I, I guess I say that as an encouragement to you, like, I, like, I think about, like, what if Jane Whitty wouldn't have been there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Or what if, you know, Ed Bolins was another teacher in my life? If he opted out of teaching, and again, I want what's best for them, and if what's best for these teachers is to opt out, they need to actually do that because we we love and care them. You have to trust people with that. And I think about that, so I think about that in this group, right? Like, mm-hmm. so Jane Whitty was that for me, and, and Brenda Wind was that for our daughter. And, and I, I know without knowing you, and I don't know you, that you are that person for someone, one of the things in my Ed 300 class that I say to students, um, we have a check-in, we have our, uh, what did I say? It's philosophy of Ed. Philosophy of Ed, yes, our Ed 300, my philosophy of Ed class, is that we have a check-in question every day. And one of the check-in questions is, um, that I asked recently, is think of a teacher um, that made a difference in your lives that you know that if they saw you today, they'd want to know about you, and like they're still your teacher. Mm-hmm. And I know there's names from, Partly because I know a little bit, I know some of the people in here, even though I don't know you, that your names have been mentioned in that. And so that idea of like what sort of keeps me going is I think the faith and trust that maybe it's sacred work, that maybe God is calling me, and I say that humbly, not arrogantly, to be that person mm-hmm. in, yeah. in someone's life is to say, yeah, like what if, what if I wouldn't have been at door? And, and, and the flip side of that is think about all the students that have blessed you that way. Yeah. Like... Um, uh, Lindsay sitting right here. She was in my class last semester. Um, sorry to put you on the spot, Lindsay, but like she was such a blessing in my class. Like the things she wrote um, about her faith and teaching, and it's like, man, if if I wouldn't be adored, I wouldn't have got to know Lindsay. Like yeah. the blessing she goes right, and so it goes to think that oh, like I need to be, I might be that for someone, but that that student also might be that that for me and so I think that's what keeps me going a bit what I'm hearing you say then like just that sense the gravity of what we get to do and I always say that we get to do this right the gravity of what we get to do as Christians in education yeah you can't take that lightly it really matters yeah it does matter yeah no it absolutely matters and to know that and I guess that's part of the encouragement for each of you is, is to know that you are that you are the answer to that question for someone in your class right now yeah. um, and for someone that maybe you taught 10 years ago. That's good. Okay, I'm going to shift and we're going to go yeah. to questions. Yeah. Okay. okay, first one, where can I get Dave's shirt? <laughs> I've got more concerns about the person who wants the shirt than I do like. <laughs> So, yeah, so for our listeners who aren't in the room, the shirt that I'm wearing this morning uh, is navy blue and covered with pink flamingos. I love it. Um, and when I was getting dressed this morning, my wife saw me taking the shirt out of the closet. She says, oh, you're going to be that guy today. Honey, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm that guy every day. <laughs> uh, I believe this was an old navy purchase. Okay. So wow. if you're interested, it's a look. I Things I never thought we'd talk about on the podcast. All right. just never right. know. Totally. they never see our shirts. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
I have a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one, I want to bring this one up because I think this is in response to one of our early episodes, okay. Matt. So the, okay. the question was, do I really have to tell my students not to color? And I feel like I should explain because I think one of our first episodes we were talking about learning targets. And I'm a big fan of learning targets. I learned a lot of this from Matt working with him and this whole concept of uh, we should be really clear on what we're actually trying to teach students. And then our assessment practices should follow our learning targets, right? Like it should, it should tell you this is what we're trying to hit. This is the target. And that's then what we should be assessing. And my flippant comment was something like, teachers, if you're assigning coloring, what is the learning target? And I think I think this is a question in response to that. I'm sorry if it's somebody here that I offended. I'm sorry. If, if the coloring but, is part of something bigger, it's fine. Right. Yeah. But it right. shouldn't just be that. If it's if if the assignment is coloring. My college students color sometimes. Mine do too. I know, but it's more it's it's <laughs> it's inside something else. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, I'm gonna do another one. Uh, Matt, I don't know. Do you want to be put on the spot? Yeah, I actually okay. haven't seen these no, questions, but I don't have my reading glasses okay. with me. Uh, <laughs> true fact, true I'll answer thoughts. it too, but talk okay. about a healthy risk you took in the classroom. So do you want me to go first? Because I thought yeah. about it. Yeah, okay. okay you Sounds think. good. All right. All right. Um, so I have my Education 135 students. Which um, is? Which is, good, thank you, intro to Ed Psych. Um, and we actually just did this too, so I have it fresh in my mind. Um, the first time I taught that course, they, um, they have to write a paper about development. Right, and mm -hmm. um, they have to choose kind of a, a age range, and I really wanted them to talk to real people. So a teacher and a student in the age range they wanted to teach, and I, I was just so hesitant logistically how that would look, and so I did not almost do it. And I, at the last minute, I just I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it, and I assigned it, and it was by far the best part of the assignment, and for many of my students, the best part of the semester was that they got to talk to a real teacher. They got to interview a real student, and they wove that into their paper. And um, each year, I for those who can't, who don't know a teacher or don't have access to a student in that age range, um, last night I just brought my three kids to campus, and we met some students in the grill area, and they got to interview mm -hmm. my students. My students get to talk to college kids, so they think that's really fun. Yeah. And I hook them up with different teachers that I, I actually know a lot of teachers, it turns out. So <laughs> it works. So friends of mine from... Um, different age ranges, some of you in the room maybe, I've asked to do that. Um, and it actually is so rewarding for most of the times the teacher as well as the my students. So that was a healthy risk that I'm really glad that I took because it worked out very well. Yeah. Okay, so truth be told is I'm not a huge risk taker. And so I think that's the... Um, the administrative side coming out of me of, of somehow Matt you, as a as a school leader you're always and this is true of teaching too you're always managing risk right you're always assessing the risk of something and so I, I think not necessarily in a positive way that might come out in my teaching sort of like is it is it worth is it worth it but so this is gonna be like you know I'm thinking about stories about the time I took um, a small group of students um, to like the toughest in the downtown east side in Vancouver and we made lunches and handed them out and um, that was a wonderful experience but that was I was so nervous and there was a couple of incidents where I was like thank you Lord like your grace is really apparent right now and um, so you, you know I've done things I've done things like that but I but I think I keep coming back to a bit of Dave's uh, line where he quotes Parker Palmer you, you teach who you are yes 
Um, and so, Lindsay, you can, if, I, if I don't do this, you can totally hold me accountable to this. But, <laughs> but I feel like teaching, I think one of the things that makes teaching so exhausting, folks, this is tiring work, mm. it's exhausting, is that, is that in teaching you are in some ways making a profession of faith every day in front of your students, right? Yeah, You're professing right. who you are. You're making a profession of faith in front of your students. And in doing that, that I find teaching is an exercise in vulnerability. Maybe you don't feel that way, but it's like you are putting yourself out there every single day and people are forming judgments about you and you have no control over those judgments. Mm -hmm. And so you're putting yourself out there. And so I feel like the act of teaching in mm -hmm. its own way in itself, is, it, it, is yeah. it is not for the faint of heart. You yeah, know that. Right. It is yeah. not for the faint of heart. You are, and I think the risk, I think the risk maybe that I, I you know, for me teaching who I, are, who I am and putting high value on relationships is, is trying to share a bit of who I am through my teaching to embody that you know, to, sh to share a bit of my stories of, of um, the dumb mistakes I've made yeah. and um, sharing that school wasn't easy with me, like to try to bring my authentic self to the classroom each day and to, to know that I, I don't have it all figured out. I didn't then, certainly, and I don't at 49. And um, it just reminds me of this, this line from, um, I think it's from Eugene Peterson. I think it's this idea of a long obedience in the same direction, right? Of trying to model that to my students and being open about my struggles and trusting that they don't take advantage of that, right? That those stories are shared in confidence. And um, so I feel like, yeah, that risk of trying to be myself and to give a little yeah. less control um, feels, I guess, is, is an answer. Yeah. yeah, good answer. Good job. Let's go. <laughs> I'm exhausted. Let's go in a different direction here. Yeah. Uh, the question is, how often should curriculum be updated? Oh, how often should curriculum be updated? I, the, my cynical answer is always. Yeah. It should always be updated. Yeah. But that's not a helpful answer. <laughs> so no. um, I don't know. The, I have kind of some thoughts on that, right? Like based on experiences I had at different schools that I've taught at where we maybe had like a curriculum wheel and so every six or seven years every subject comes around again. And I think there's something healthy about reviewing Reviewing. that way. Yeah. But I don't know that we need to like throw out everything and yeah. start with something new every every time either. I don't know. You guys have thoughts well, on I that? Well I think about my own practice, right? And the answer is every time I teach something. Right. Yeah. right. There's this mental... Like the context and has changed or I find a new reading or... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a constant tweaking. I yeah, I guess for but me... But I don't teach K-12, so... Yeah. yeah. I guess I'm thinking of, of what do you mean by the word updating? Like, right. I think if... I would say that, again, in not knowing you, if, if I came and watched you teach a lesson, you know, on Monday and I saw you teach the same lesson a year from now, it wouldn't look exactly no. the same, right? You're, you're always sort of in the process of updating or different, yeah, yeah. you know, like my, my class this semester looks different than last semester. Part of it's the dynamics. It's the students in the class. It's what are they bringing out of you? It's all of a sudden, you're, you, you can know, see their faces. you see their faces, right? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's, you're making yeah. a triangle. Oh, it looks like this student or this, we need to talk more about this. And, mm -hmm. and other times it's like, no, I don't feel like we need to do that this semester because it feels like we're already there. We've had that discussion. Yeah. I, I think there's something to be, and I, and I do think there's something to be said for like, man, you need to teach something a few times before, like I'm in my fourth time of teaching Introduction to School Leadership, a grad ed course. 
guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like I'm finally sort of understanding it, and right. it's my forward. Like, it just, it just takes time to really, you know, it's going to grow. And so um, I, I'm updating it as I go. At some point, though, you know, like we read a, we read a book by Simon Sinek, um, you know, Leaders Eat Last. It's a great book. It's a wonderful book. At some point, though, that book, even though it will be effective, at some point it will be like, yeah, I think we need something a little more present, or we need, sure. you know, like the, the the times we live in call for a different discussion, right? Like, right. It, and so, so I just think you're always assessing, like, what's the context in which I'm teaching this, yep. and and I think that, and I think that's for me the bigger question is not about updating, but is how often are we reflecting on our practice and our mm-hmm. curriculum and assessing does it still hit the learning targets and meet yeah, the needs right. of the student. And the concern for me would be more if, if we're not reflecting on it, um, that that's a, a bigger thing. I appreciate does that make sense? That, totally, because I'm thinking about it like, okay, I've taught intro to ed, introduction to education, I think I've taught it 16 times now, right? And there comes a point where it's like, okay, Maybe I need to just put everything back on the table and say, what should I keep doing? What should I stop doing? Yeah. But I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Oftentimes, I feel like it takes me at least three times teaching something yeah. before I feel like I really got my hands yeah. around it. Because the first time, you're just trying to figure out what yeah. this is. And the second time, you're fixing everything that was broken the first time you taught it. Yeah. And then the third time, it's like, oh, okay, maybe yeah. I know what's going on here. And yeah. okay. So I, I think, yeah, the reflection is, I think, the key to yeah. this, right? Just being mindful about what we're doing and why am I doing I it that way. Yeah. And I, and just and the kind of and now and if we're talking about updating like the whole curriculum, let's just name that that is a significant amount of work that takes a significant amount of time and a significant amount of energy. And, and if we sure. want that to happen, and I'm saying this as a former principal, probably didn't always do this really well. We need to give people the time to do that. Like we cannot say, hey, you keep on doing everything else in your job, and, and now we're going to add this. Right. I think one of the things. And I say this again as, as, a, as a school principal, if we're going to add those big things like updating the Bible curriculum or the language arts curriculum, and we're going to task someone to do that, then I think we have to have the courage to say, we're going to add this, what are we going to take away from that person? We cannot just keep, I mean, this goes back to the other question of why are people, why are people sometimes lead, or, you know, on the trend to leave? Mm-hmm. It's because we know, and you all know this, the plate is the same size as it was five years ago, 10 <laughs> years, 20 years. That plate doesn't get any bigger. And you just keep adding stuff onto that plate, well, pretty soon it's going to start spilling over the side. And I think, I think if I'm going to, and I say this again, as a former leader in Christian education who's been in it for 28 years, I think Christian schools have this tendency to just keep add, 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 add. And I think we do have to have the courage to say, if we're going to do this, we have to stop doing this. It's really easy, especially as a school principal, talking about myself, to add stuff, cool things to the school. Okay, but I think the harder thing and the more courageous thing is to also say, what are we going to stop doing? And so mm-hmm. update it if we're going to do it. Give people the time to do it so they can do it well, so that it meets yeah. the mission and vision and be faithful to the work we're called to do. For sure. All right. Very important question. Any suggestions for a first-year teacher wanting to drink coffee but simply doesn't like it black? <laughs> Any suggestions nope, to make it no less of an acquired taste but few, fulfill my need for caffeine? Okay, I'm going to show you something here. I don't know who asked that question. This is my favorite coffee creamer. Okay, international delight, caramel macchiato. I highly recommend. Anyone else? Yep, I see some nods. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So if this is you who asked that question, this is my answer to your question right here. We can put it 
in the show notes, maybe? I don't yeah, know. I'll put a, I'll put a link. You know what? There, okay. there was a question on here. One of you mentioned it. I'm not going to answer this because I could get in trouble for it. Someone was like, what's the difference between the Canadian education system and the American education system? I'll tell you one of the things is, is, is why don't people hear more people drink coffee with cream in it? Like, this is a regular <laughs> thing. And I was like, like, this question makes sense to me because yeah. it's like, yeah. no. Put cream in your coffee, you will thank me. Yeah. Your life will be fuller, yeah. more enriched. Um, you're welcome, all right? That, that's the best, yeah. that is the best decision you're going to make today is add flavor cream to your coffee. The other, the other thing I would add to that is don't drink the swill that's in the staff room. Oh, so yeah. Just bring your own coffee from home. Yeah. 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 Most of your Get a Keurig. Yeah. 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 yeah, totally. Uh, Any other questions you see uh, there, guys? Oh, uh, what do we got? Let's do something. I got one more that's a little more, more serious. Okay. And, okay, so you guys are both the secondary educators. Okay. I, I also um, taught middle school, at least. Okay, the question is uh, around final exams. So oh, yeah. what's, what's, the, what's the trend on final exams in secondary ed? Are we seeing more projects, or is there still value in semester exams? Mm. Put you all on the spot here. I mean, I have I opinions about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, please, go ahead. Yeah, I think I tend to do exams in lower level classes, right or wrong, I think that's just my thinking, right? Because I think of my intro classes as surveys and knowledge, right? Versus my upper applied classes where I tend to use projects because that's more of what we are doing, right? Because they're they're taking all the knowledge and they're applying it to deeper scenarios. No, that's what you're doing currently at, at the at college the, level. At the college right? level. So, so and I agree with you about that because that's exactly what I do. Yeah. Too, and but. so I, I guess I would think of it at the secondary ed level of what what is the learning target here? Yeah. Is this a is this a you know, I'm just I'm thinking literature because that's my world, yep. right? So is this a survey course, right? Mm -hmm. Do I want them to know about a variety of American literature authors, right? And if so, then it makes sense that I have some sort of factual survey type semester exam, right? Or am I focusing primarily on skills of literary analysis, for example, in which case I'm probably going to trend toward a paper or some other sort of project mm -hmm. type work. Maybe it's both. Maybe I have to break my exam into pieces and mm. do all of those things to cover all of the learning targets that I'm trying to reach. So I, I think the answer is the same as my higher ed, which is what am I getting at? Right. right. What's the learning target and how do I design an assessment to match that? Yeah, I think one of the one of the cooler final exams was, um, yeah, just a colleague of mine, uh, Sean, brilliant teacher. I think it was a biology science class upper level, and he gave he gave his students an option. I think this is how it went. He'll he'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he gave students kind of the option of like you can take a traditional exam like like pen and paper exam, or you can or you can take a um, you can lead a dissection in a grade three or four class. So you have oh, to teach. Yeah. You have to teach these students everything that's going on. You have to teach, take everything you've learned this year and lead this, and um, and you'll be assessed on the teaching and the learning. And and so it was like sort of this option of like, hey, you can you know teach people what you know, or you can demonstrate your mm -hmm. learning through. And I just thought I love the idea of giving students options, which is I think what's the what's the learning target um, in in my history class, um, history of education class, philosophy class, um, at the end, instead of a written exam, um, I'm trying to make the classes tangible of, you know, real work, real need, real people. 
Um, so, you know, a lot of these are juniors and seniors that are about to apply for jobs. Some of them are literally months away from applying for jobs. And so as they write their philosophy of we write the exam as the, as the semester goes on. So they have to write a, a three, four page paper every two weeks and that forms the philosophy of education because the goal is to be able to have then edit that into a five, four, five page paper when they begin applying for jobs. It's like, hey, here's my philosophy of education because a lot of schools ask for that. And then, and then in addition to that, they have to schedule a 15 minute face-to-face -face interview with me. Nice. And it's not as much an assessment as, hey, I've been a principal, I've given tons of these interviews, we're going to do a 15, 20 minute interview and I'm going to ask you the questions I asked last year, a year or two ago, as a principal just to give you practice around your philosophy, the elements of a philosophy of education. So, you know, traditional questions around worldview, but around classroom management, about pedagogy, your view of the student, your view of the teacher, all those things. So that they, and I, and I literally will take them from the questions that I, that I use. And so that kind of functions as um, a final exam. And, and I do, like, in the end, it depends is the answer. <laughs> but I do think the learning target, which, you know, like I was at, I was at a school, a wonderful school, who for seniors said, oh, if, you get, if your GPA doesn't go down second semester of your senior year, you don't have to take final exams. Well, then the question for me is, of A, what's it worth? Yeah, so yeah. What, well, then what's the learning target yeah. of those exams? Is this about compliance and behavior? Is it about mm -hmm. demonstrating learning? And if you do that at your school, I'm sorry, I don't mean that as a <laughs> criticism. I thought it was a great idea. I was all in on it, just in hindsight. Right. Um, I think that's why it's like, what's your, what's your, you know, what's philosophy of assessment? What's right. the purpose? That's, I guess I'd pick up on that too. My, my wonder, coming back to the, the learning target, right? Like if, if I want students to be able to win on Jeopardy, I'm going to write a particular kind of an exam. And if I, I mean, really, <laughs> that's a good right? Goal. Seriously, wow, that's awesome. right? I mean, because if it's about atomized, you know, little specific facts that they can right. recall off the top of their head, yeah. I'll write a particular kind of test. Yeah. If I care about what our friend Daryl calls 60-year learning, not stuff that matters for 60 minutes while they're in class or for 60 days till they take their exam, but 60 years, if it's stuff that matters to the rest of their yeah. life, you write a very different exam yeah. for that. Yeah. Right? So I have no problem with the exam, but I would right. encourage people to think about what, what are we aiming towards. Right. Right? I also think if I think about final, finally, or any assessment, actually, I'm not going to talk about final exams, and I guess this is for any of you to consider in, in age-appropriate ways, what, what are, are there ways in your assessment to also measure for the mission and vision of the school? Right? How is that, like, how do we use our assessment tools and integrate, like, right, if you think about a mission and vision statement, like, this is our promise statement to put all the resources into achieving this and do this in our classes, how do we know that we're actually succeeding, succeeding in that? So to think about, is there a way to have mission, vision-based questions as part of, as part of your ass assessment practice? So, good question. Think, anyways. You got one more? No, I think we're good. I don't know. I don't know. Thank you guys for asking questions. Yeah. That makes yeah. it a lot more interesting, I hope. <laughs> All right. Friends, we know that your time is valuable, and we want to thank you for joining us in the hallway today. Thanks for your good, God-delighting work that you're doing in your communities, and we hope that the Lord gives you what you stand in need of this week. Finally, we'd like to send you into your day and this week and this school year with this blessing. So to our listeners and to our audience, who we are so thankful for, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace. Amen. Have a good week, everyone, and thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for being here. <laughs>
Hallway Conversations is an independent podcast created and produced by Matt Beamers, Abby DeGroat, and Dave Mulder. Thanks for listening. This is always the part, like, if I don't stop recording right away, sometimes something funny happens afterwards, and I'm, like, hoping something's going to happen. What is your honest opinion on flamingos? Came in later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honest opinion on flamingos? Um, So, okay, I was a middle school science teacher for a lot of years, so, like, flamingos fascinate me. Do you know this about flamingos? They're actually white. They are not pink by nature. It's because of the food they eat that they turn pink. Are you sure? Is this like one of those things like what color is the dress? Come on. Okay. All right.